Welcome to the NACA American Dream Program. Each week, we'll talk about how NACA is revolutionizing mortgage lending with the best mortgage in America. It's no down payment, no closing cost or fees, no PMI, no consideration of your credit score. And guess what? It's at a below market fixed rate. NACA is just relentless. This is the NACA way. Hey, hey, welcome, welcome back for another episode of Matthew's American Dream Program, where we are helping you get that awesome home through NACA who's doing things that nobody else is doing. So I apologize about that little technical difficulty, but like I say, we always, we just roll on, keep on moving, nothing stops this train and nothing is going to stop you from getting that home. So listen, Anjanette, what's going on over there? How you doing? How was the weather? Hey, 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 it is a beautiful day out there in the land of NACA. This is the day, Damien, that we are out driving around. It's a beautiful day to be driving around in your hood, doing good, looking for that dream house with NACA's Best in America Mortgage. This is here. We're here for our NACA radio program of the year 2022, giving you more of what you need to succeed. We're making it happen all in 22 just for you. And keep it locked in because we are NACA facebook live we're on facebook twitter instagram like us love us do whatever you want to do with us and reach out <laughs> to us now so if you're out there on facebook throw those hearts up because we want to yes. see them and you can always reach us at 833-771-0500 that's 833-771-0500 today's interest rate is at 3.25 on a 30-year fix and a 2.625 on a 15-year This is the day, Damien, you can poke me with a stick because I am done. This is the day you're supposed to be out there for your home. Two times. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, listen, I got an awesome, awesome show, some awesome guests that we have here. We actually have a surprise for you guys out there. So everybody, come on in, come on in and get everybody in. We have a surprise. Our surprise today is we have our mortgage counselors with us today, our top producing mortgage counselors who now are, who are the ones that get you through the program, but not that they get you through. You help them get you through by doing the things that they advise you to do. So we're going to let them introduce themselves, starting with Ms. Katya, and go on around to the ladies and then to the men, and they can introduce themselves and tell you where they're from and what office so you can get this expert help in your neighborhood. Hey, Nactivists. Nice to meet you. I'm Katya Walker. I'm out here in California. Yes, hi, class. That's right. Affordability all day long. So I'm the one trying to help you make it happen. Um, So I handle uh, Southern California and Northern California. I'm still out of the LA office, but I'm up here in Oakland now. So I'm looking to reopen that branch. So I'm up in, in NorCal now and excited. Thank wow. you, Katia. Thank you. Welcome. We got the West Coast in the house. Damien, what do you Miss Lourdes. Lourdes Woods. Hi, good afternoon. I work at the uh, remotely. I work at the Walcott's uh, call center. Mm-hmm. I have license on 28 states. So Woo-hoo. I have Alabama to Wyoming, all 29, all um, East and Central. Um, wow! Unbelievable. Happy do you have them all? Here. Do you I have all the licenses? Twenty nine so far. Oh wow! That's awesome. 
She's doing it, giving you what you need to succeed. Damien, who do we have next? Miss Michelle Mitchell. What's going on? Hi. Hi. It's good. It's good over here in New England. I'm loving it. Lourdes, I'm impressed. 29 states. Wow. So I'm located in the Hartford, Connecticut office. And I'm licensed, um, nothing like Lourdes, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, Maine, and New Hampshire. I love it. Yes, yes. But, um, you know, I support a lot of people. My intake this morning was from Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. So we want to get everybody qualified wherever we can, whenever we can. So I'm I'm here to help. Love it. Love it. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. All right. Mr. Gregory Hargrave. Good afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome. I am Greg Hargrave, Senior Mortgage Counselor out of the North New Jersey office. I service all of New Jersey, all of New York, Pennsylvania, as well as Delaware. Wow. States again. Welcome, Mr. Hargrave. We got the Northeast covered. We done rocked it from the East to the West. Come on, Shim. Take it on home. What you got? Hi, everyone. I'm Shim from Minneapolis office. I am only covering the Minnesota office by myself. I'm the only mortgage counselor here. So I have a lot of people coming in. We have a huge client base, but I'm helping all our Minnesota clients. Uh, I just closed four uh, members this month only and another about to close as well. So if you guys are ready, I am here to help anyone in Minnesota ready to uh, get them out that their dream house and ready for their next step. Wow. We got it covered, Damien. We didn't take it from the east to the west and Shem got Midwest. And in the middle. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Lord has got the Southern territories covered. And I just want to stop for a minute to say, you know, the counselors on this call are here to answer and address any questions that you may have to get you further through the process all the way to closing. But this is just indicative of the counselors and the caliber and the fiber of what NACA counselors truly are. Multiple licenses, assisting others. And I love it. I love it. Damien, what else could we ask for? Man, they're doing it just for you, the members. They want to be able to help as many people as they can. That's why they have all these licenses. They're not just in one place. They're all over trying to make sure you get what? Your house. That's right. Again, giving you what you need to succeed. You know, that's my motto. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I'm sure we have a lot of questions. But what I want to kind of start off asking, if you don't already have a question, Internet, is what can members do from any of you guys, it don't matter, that best help you to help them to get qualified? You mean anyway. what, what can they do to be better prepared for qualification? Correct. Mm-hmm. Any counselor, take it away. Right, I'll, I'll start. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is, is to take advantage because there's a whole, there's like what, 160 of us and how many thousands of them, right? So take advantage of those moments that you have in front of a counselor at that appointment, be prepared, have all your documents loaded into the system. Cause if we can't see it, we can't underwrite it. We can't make a decision if the information's not there. So for me, that would be the, the first big thing is be prepared, you know, follow the directions in the workbook and in your, in your workshop and make sure that all your stuff is loaded and the most recent. Awesome. awesome. Another, su- another suggestion. Yeah, I would say too. Um, listen carefully. 
Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of information in the uh, home buyer workshop. When you come and you meet with us at an intake session, we're sharing a lot more information. Um, at the workshop, because we share so much, I think people are asking a lot of questions in that chat box and they're not really listening because they're asking so many questions. But I encourage people to take notes because you're hearing so much information. Take notes so you can go back and refresh your memory. And then you think about things after the workshop or after your intake session, jot it down, right? You know, put it on a piece of paper and ask your right. counselor. Because if, um, if you don't listen, you're going to miss a lot of information. So just listen carefully and take notes. And there's so much information that's provided in the workshops. And that's good advice. Listen and take notes. Right, Michelle? That's Definitely. good. Thank you, Katia. And, and I'll add to that. Mm -hmm. um, aside from taking notes, it's important that you read the qualification report. Amen. It's not a resource mm -hmm. available. It's too much information for you to remember. In my opinion, too much information for you to write down. So it's best for you to download the qualification workbook, take your notes in the qualification workbook, read it from cover to cover, and that'll help you to be best prepared to help you uh, get your own. And for those of you who are looking for the qualification workbook, you can always go to www.naca.com, go under our resources, and the qualification workbook is listed right there for you to download. You can review it on your mobile, on your mobile phone or what have you, but it's there readily available. Damien, awesome. we got questions already. Uh oh, let's fire them up. I'm ready. Got them. You guys keep them coming. Thank you, Corey and Tanika. So we're going to jump right in here. Corey, thank you out there in Facebook. Corey is saying, my file is about to be submitted for a single family home. Can I request to be submitted for multifamily? I've completed the landlord certification. And as long as my minimum, my minimum required funds are already saved, if so, what do I need to do to request multifamily? So it sounds like he's in the middle of getting qualified for single family. He's changed his mind and want to do multifamily. Can he do it? And if so, how can it be done? I will take this answer. Um, I think like just discuss this with your counselor first and let them know that you are interested. It's great that you did the landlord certification. That is one of the requirements, obviously. And the counselor will uh, discuss with you, discussing and looking at your bank statement. If you have those available funds and if you have those affordability uh, for moving, switching to multifamily. And yeah, it's just easy, very easy for any counselor who is uh, working with you. As long as the documents are there, we can make that happen. That's not going to be a very big shift for you. Now, now we're in that same vein, let me ask you this, because not only multifamily, if I come in and I say to you, hey, I only want my payment to be 800, but I possibly could qualify for 1300. Would you go ahead and qualify me for 13 or would you only qualify me for eight? Because what I'm seeing is a lot of times when they get out there looking at that house for 800, they don't like those. And now you got to go back and be requalified. What kind of conversation or what should happen with you guys from the beginning, from the onset to not have that to happen? I can, I can answer at least for um, California, because this happens quite a bit. Um, okay. when, you, when you have an initial conversation where people are paying a rent, what they, what they feel that they might be comfortable with um, might be very different than what they need to get qualified for in our marketplace. And they aren't necessarily aware that this is what, these are what homes cost. Mm -hmm. This is what the payment would be for that home. 
and they haven't done that research ahead of time. So I spent a lot of time talking about affordability. What does, let's go to the calculator. Let's look to see what homes are going for in your area. How, what kind of a payment does that equate to? Do, is that a payment that is above your affordability or is that comfortable for you? So let's look at that. And then let's look at your bank statements and your budget to see, hey, what are your, what are your expenses right now? And what, does, what kind of a payment does that um, you know, show that you're comfortable with? And then have that whole conversation so that they're not you know, getting qualified for something and wandering the streets and not being able to plan something. Wow. I mean, from a counseling perspective, I'm always going to push my members to qualify for the maximum payment that they can qualify for. You always want to reach for the ceiling. If you decide to land somewhere below that, then that's totally up to you. But you don't want to handicap yourself, you know, during the qualification phase whereby you could qualify for a higher payment. You decide that you don't want to do the additional work, effort, savings to qualify for a higher payment. And then once you start shopping, you have sticker shop. So, you know, it's always good as a counselor and as a member to work to qualify for a higher payment because you can always purchase a home whereby your payment is going to be lower. Save, 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 save. I have the same thing. Like every time I have an intake, I ask them what is the max monthly mortgage payment they are comfortable with. That gives an understanding to where they want to move towards. But also, yes, as Mr. Greg said, have them qualified at the maximum amount possible because the market here uh, in Minnesota is kind of like a seller's market unless they have that uh, affordability to bid for the house. And if they really like it, uh, they cannot bid for it because they are only qualified for that certain amount. So making them understand that this is the max you can qualify for, but you can also always bid for something less than that. Awesome. And then, wow. If I could circle back to be a bit more pointed to answer Corey's question about qualifying for multifamily. Sure, absolutely. Typically, Corey, in addition to that uh, landlord training, you're also going to want to write a letter explaining or documenting your knowledge, experience, and expectations for being a landlord. You can reference information that you learned from the landlord training course any firsthand experience you have or any experience you have by way of friends, families, or loved ones. And then in addition to that, you want to reevaluate your budget and you have to make sure that when you do the after purchase budget, that you have a minimum surplus of $400. Um, once you verify those things, it's a simple process in terms of just adding multifamily to your qualification. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a great point. Multifamily and single family. Yeah, that's a great point, because I have had members who have gone out house shopping, they're qualified for a single family, and then the agent might say, well, have you thought about buying a multifamily? But yet they've had no conversation whatsoever with um, their counselor. And it is a lot different. So all those extra steps that Greg is asking for a member to take and think about makes a lot of sense. Um, they're going to, you know, you're going to be running a small business. So it's not like buying a single family home by no means. Right. Just takes a little bit more counseling. So let me play devil's advocate. Why do we not talk about those options ahead of time? So if I'm Jane Doe and I'm sitting with you and I'm sitting there saying, you know, I, I, I want that American dream. I want generational wealth. I want to own a home. And then you talk to me about single family. When do we have that discussion about, well, here are your options. I've looked at your financial picture 
Um, you can do a single family or you can do a multifamily. Here are the choices. Do you have that conversation up front? And because I just noticed you said the realtor had that conversation, but when do I have it with my counselor? We do it in the intake session. Definitely want to know what your desire is in the intake session. But sometimes um, a real estate agent might get them a little off track and want to steer them somewhere else. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, mm-hmm. but sometimes it does. So, But that conversation definitely is had with the member at the intake session. And they may not know up front. Sometimes they may say, I'm not sure. I could do a single family or I could do a multifamily. I'm not sure. So we, if they do... Um, you know, give us any kind of inkling that they want to do a multifamily, we will take that time to talk to them about what it takes to, to be a landlord and to have a multifamily home. And also to do the math on the calculator. When, when I always go through the calculator and I show them the options of how to use the calculator to look at the multifamily option and how it changes the affordability. And, and obviously it's not just an affordability issue. They do have to have so, you know, enough income and reserves, but, and the income, you cannot use the rents to cover any of your expenses. So there's a different calculation for multifamily. They have to have enough income, net income coming in to cover all of their expenses, their debt, and that have that $400 cushion. Absolutely. Now, let me ask also, you remember that when we have a multifamilies, multifamilies are not everywhere. So it's only a few states that have multifamilies. So usually it's, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, no, all the states are a multifamily. Multifamilies are a great option for uh, people who income is not that high. The rent sometimes can give you the number that you're looking for, but the people also need to understand that it's an investment. Do you want to be a landlord? A landlord can be that you had a great tenant and you don't have no issues. It can be that you had the worst tenants and have plenty of issues, and you still need to be able to make your mortgage payment every month. So it's a little bit more into it when you are a landlord. So you have to see if uh, that's something that they want to do. And also is we have it on the state, where are you located? No, all the state have multifamilies. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, let me ask you this along that line. So say you're already qualified for 800 and you want to say you realize you're not finding any houses and you want to go and see if you can qualify for more or qualify for the multifamily. If you go back and do that with you guys, does that, inv- while they're being requalified, does that invalidate the original $800 qualification or can they continue to look for something around 800 while now being requalified possibly for more or do they have to cease looking? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can okay. keep looking. They can keep looking, yeah. They can continue with their qualification prior, but if they have a newer one, they can use the new qualification for the higher qualification or a different property. Wow. Okay. I like that. I, I wasn't sure because I don't want people to think they have to stop the whole process to wait. And then some people are also scared that if it took me a year to get qualified, now to get requalified, there may be a possibility a whole other year, but it might not be that way since you've already qualified them. You're just doing a little bit, you know, some more verifying and fact checking. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it also happens to people are in home search and maybe their payment shock wasn't where it needed to be when they got qualified, but now they're in home search and they're super motivated and they're saving, saving, saving. And now their payment shock is all there and they want to go back through and get requalified. Let's go. 
That's All right. Woo! <laughs> Hands up for that one. Also, <laughs> February, many of my members come back to me. Hey, I got a pay increase in my paycheck. And this is reflecting on my paycheck. What do I do? Can I apply for a requalification? And I'm saying, yes, obviously, if you get a pay increase, that will help you to get requalified for the higher PITI. And if, uh, if it is a significant amount, we can go for, forward with that and what, make that happen. Yeah, wow. and let's not forget our new 33%, 33% instead of 31%. Let's go. Right. Absolutely. Right. Now, I love the answer. Don just asked that question. Don out there, 314, I believe that's St. Louis. So Don, thank you for that question. Shem just answered it because she wanted to know if her pay has, if she received a raise, now that she has new income, can she come back and get requalified for the Howard amount? And Shem has already answered saying, yes, you can. Woohoo! Thank you, Shem. Corey, I hope we answered your, your question on the multifamily. Uh, if not, let us know. But I think we covered everything. Let's move on to Tanika. Tanika out there in Facebook land, thank you so much for your question. She says, my second appointment is in July. And if we have done everything that our counselor has advised us to do, what is the next step in the process, please? So basically, she's saying she's cleared everything. She has all everything. She's addressed everything. Her counsel wanted her to know, wanted her to do. What happens to her next? She's anticipating what, what what's happening in July. She can't wait till July. She wants to know now what happens. Okay, well, it, I, my members, if, they, if they're ready earlier than their next appointment, then I can put them on my wait list. And then whenever I have a cancellation or a, a, a slot opened up, and they're ready to go. I move them. I move them in. So do they still keep that other appointment though? No, I would. Well, we would. We would move move their appointment up. No, no, no. While they're waiting to be moved to your wait list, they just still keep that second appointment they have, and then yeah. if you get an earlier mm -hmm. one, you'll Correct. move them. Okay, got it. Thank you. So, so is the advice for Tanika to let her counselor know that she's she's done everything, or will her counselor already know? No, she should reach out because we don't, I mean, we aren't going to know to go look at your file until, you Thank know, you. we got our 600 members. <laughs> right. Right. So Tanika, reach out to your counselor. Let your counselor know that you, you completed everything on your task list. Your action items have been completed and you may be ready for another appointment sooner than July. And can you be placed on their wait list? Awesome. Another, another important thing too, when you finish that intake session, Ask questions because you should have a really clear understanding of what your next step is when you leave that intake session. There may or may not be a reason why you were put on for July as opposed to April, right? There could be a, re a valid reason why. So you got to understand why July? If my appointment was in March, why July, right? And it, it could be a number of reasons why. Yeah, like if you don't have like employment stability or sometimes we have to reschedule you for a further appointment mm -hmm. so that your income is more stable or you have more PSS to show that stability of income and also having the PSS history payment shock savings in your bank statement. So I have had members, I have to make them wait three months uh, because right. they are living with family. And oh, I see. So you need to have those discussions with your counselor. If you think you have completed everything, reach out to your counselor, but your counselor may have had a, a, other reasons that they mentioned during your session, why they may are keeping you in that session. Absolutely. That makes sense. That makes so sense. Thank you. It does. It really does. You will have received a comprehensive action plan 
whereby once you complete it and you meet with your counselor for the follow-up appointment, you know, assuming that there are no, no remaining hurdles, then at that point, it should be to move you forward for qualification. So if you receive the comprehensive action plan, your follow-up appointment should be to process your file and move you forward to qualification. That would be the realistic expectation. Makes sense, makes yes. sense. And I have Denise out here from Vegas. Denise is asking, why do I have to already live in the city first if I'm moving back home? Denise is back home. If she's in Vegas now, she's moving back home to Florida. So she's trying to find out. And we get this question every time, don't we, Damien? You know, why do I have to live in the city that, you know, that I'm purchasing in if I, this is where I want to move? Anybody have an answer to that question? They don't have to wait if they if they've lived there before. The purpose for the six month wait is, is if it's an area that you haven't been there before. I had an example of California where somebody was leaving the state, they moved to Houston, and then realized they weren't too keen on hurricanes. Decided that you know after they purchased, right after they purchased, that they were going to you know move again. So what they just want to make sure that you are ready to go. And if you've lived there before, that would be the exception to that rule that you wouldn't have to wait if you've lived there before because and it's that, back home. Right, right, right. But another question too would be work. Yeah, if you lived in Florida before, mm-hmm. let's talk about your work now. If you're in California and you want to go back home in Florida, how's the work situation? going to happen employment going to look like mm-hmm. where you, you know, right yeah is it a transfer or what work at home what is it yeah 100 yeah. remote or something like that right and guys i don't know if you know this but you know a couple of shows ago we had the real estate agents on we had all of our in-house brokers on the show and they talked about community shopping for the very reason that katia and michelle are talking about you know going into an area that may not be what you want, you know, Houston hurricanes, who knew, who thought it would be as devastating as it is. This is not for me. Let me go back, you know, Dallas tornadoes, you know, Atlanta, the heat, and it's just a a slew of things. So Denise, I hope that answered your question, but we do encourage community shopping, but just like Katya said, if you're moving back home, that is an exception to the rules. So talk to your counselor and make sure your counselor know that you are moving back home. Uh, I think the last show when we when we had the inspectors and people like that on, we talked about having good relationships with your counselors. And we do want our members to have good relationships with their counselors so that they can have these discussions and the counselor can kind of gauge where you're trying to go. What are you trying to do so that they can be of better service to you? Counselors, am I right? Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. Did you have something, Damien, look like you was about to talk? I was just saying the more my recommendation is what you're learning from the radio station and these counselors is to have a more informed because some things you may have not known to ask or you don't know to say or you don't know to talk about. But the more you talk about about having the highest, you know, qualification, multifamily on the front end, because these guys are busy as heck. So trying to get back on their schedules to come back and be requalified could be a little time. But if you have all of those conversations, have all of your documentation, talk to them about everything in the front end, it's easier once you go, you're released to go out, you got everything you need. You can jump here, you can jump there, you can do this. You have a multiplicity of options. And that's what you want. <laughs> that's exactly right. 
So let's get on. Mariah, Mariah, thank you out there in Facebook for your question. This is a good one, guys. Mariah says, my counselor told me that I would be fine with my minimum required funds being in my retirement account. I'm buying a multifamily. Then when I got sent into in for qualification, uh, they said that I had to have those funds in my in my, I guess, her main account. My retirement account doesn't let me take out take out funds unless I, I leave employment. Is there any way to get an exemption? I work for the government and this is the only way to plan to plan only way to plan their offer. Um, do you get what she's saying? Basically, she has Absolutely. retirement that right. can qualify for the minimum required funds. They want her to pull it out and put it, I guess, make it liquid into the main account. And she's saying that's not allowed. What is that's the not correct? Right. So the, we the need that the counselor gave her initially was correct. So she can qualify with the minimum required funds documented in her retirement account, but she will need to provide documentation showing how much will be accessible to her and on what terms towards the purchase of her home. With that, then she should be able to qualify using that for minimum required funds. Once she qualifies and then she starts shopping, once she's at credit access, the funds will need to be liquid. Okay, so her the advice was right. So she's gonna have to take the funds out of her retirement and put them into a main account? Not for qualification. She sounds like she's in the qualify qualification stage, which means that the funds don't have to be liquid. She just needs to document that they're available and on what terms and how much she has access towards the purchase of her home. Okay. Right. But she said that she couldn't access them because um, unless she separated with her job. So those are not funds that she can use because they will not, she will not be able to transfer them unless they have an exemption for home purchase. And sometimes they do. And they also have to know whether or not they're going to be doing a full withdrawal or if they're going to be doing a loan. If they're going to do a 401k loan or something like that, then we have to hit them with the payment as part of their ratios. And if they're going to take a distribution, then we have to get the terms and, uh, of that availability for that distribution and whether or not there's going to be any sort of a penalty, right? So that's the terms that he's talking about. But if she's saying that she does not have access to those funds um, for, for any reason, including home purchase, then those funds will not be able to be used for the home purchase. Mm. And we also need to have a minimum 2,500 liquid at qualification time. So she do need to have that 2,500 liquid by qualification time. Also, Mariah, you have to understand what the minimum required funds are for. The minimum required funds are for paying those money that you need when you are trying to get the house. You have to pay the two months of mortgage in advance. You have to get those insurance for one year, four months of escrow real estate taxes and other fees. Now, how are you planning to pay for these funds and still keep your job? You need to make that understand and make your counselor understand because if you don't have access to these funds and you are still, we are expecting that you keep your job and use your job to show the affordability, then we have to show that you can afford to pay the minimum required funds in order to get the house that you are dreaming for. Mariah, mm. I hope that answered your question. That was a good one and uh, led to some good conversations and others out there. Let us know if you have any questions uh, as it relates to minimum required funds and taking making money liquid out of your savings accounts, wherever they may be, IRAs, you know, wherever. 
Um, next question is, will you do another show on inspections and will the counselor speak to me if the inspections doesn't turn out well? First part of your question, and that was from Kesha. Kesha, thank you for your question uh, from the call line. Yes, we will be doing another show on inspections. That was that show that we did on inspections, guys. We had a live show where we did, uh, one of the members allowed us to do our show where she was getting her home inspection done. And we were talking to various inspectors and we were finding different issues from plumbing to electrical to roofing. We looked at everything during this home inspection, but we also got a chance to talk to various inspectors on the show in different regions to find out what they're looking for, how to negate when you have a bad inspection, what happens next. So yes, we will be doing that, Kesha. And will the counselor speak to me when the inspection turns out, doesn't turn out well? Counselors, do you guys have to talk to them about those inspections and what next steps are? And we usually do. by the, oh, I was going to say, credit at, go ahead, go ahead, Shem. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. So I said like, yeah, obviously we do. And this also sometimes gives you a turning point. Uh, sometimes you might have like minor repairs to be done, or uh, usually there's something that is easily fixable. And it also gives you a tools to talk with your seller representative to get some seller contribution or reduce the purchase price. So this is definitely something we tell the members to say that, hey, uh, let's talk about what it didn't come out and is it something that can be fixed or is it something that you can use to reduce the purchase price if needed, if you really like the home or is it something that you back out of that, no, this is not working for me, the inspection, something that I cannot be fixed and I don't want to take this house. So it's good to have those conversations with your counselor and the counselor will guide you. We have our hand department. They have, uh, we have an assigned counselor when you get a property and they also advise you on that, uh, that section as well. Right. And hand is really good to work with. We've had Tammy on the show a couple of times and we always come across the, the questions about good inspections, bad inspections. Do we keep the house? Do we work with the seller and things like that? And Tammy is always a wealth of knowledge for us. Michelle, you were going to say something as well. Well, I was just going to say when somebody's under contract, uh, when we get that contract and we move to the stage called credit access, it's required that the home inspection is done by that point. So a lot of the members know by the time they sit with us at a bank application, you know, the, the details of the property inspection. And they kind of, they will let us know if they think this is a property that they may not move forward with because there's so many problems or if it's in pretty good shape. So we have a, a, a general understanding too, at that point of how the property conditions are. Right. But, but usually to add to that, before we even get to that point of credit access, when you first get under contract, you're supposed to already, like within the first day or second day, have a home inspection. Mm -hmm. Our members have to participate and be at that home inspection. So they're already aware of what's going on. So even by the time it gets to hand, the aid, the, the real estate agent, the, whether it's in-house or outhouse, is already aware from the home inspection that was just done. So at that point, they start negotiating to make sure that if, if the seller is going to give them anything or not, and if it may be in their affordability. So if it is not within their affordability, they're still doing the due diligence period and they can get out of it before you even get on further down the line to get to credit access. Mm -hmm. um, right. So yeah. I actually back it up even further than that. I have conversations in California because we're so high cost 
um, our acquisition limits are our limits and that includes rehab. So I tell my members, guess what? You know, yeah, you can do a rehab property, but, and we will do, you know, we can theoretically go up to 110% of your of appraisal value. But if you're bumping up against that loan limit, you're done, right? That's it. So you're going to have to bid down. So I tell them in advance, because sometimes those are the only properties that some, some of my members can afford are these properties that need work. So you got to make sure that you're bidding a realistic price for a property that needs repairs so that you have the repair room on top of it. A good realtor should know these things when they're going into this house, that's you know, exactly as right. is, or, you know, sellers, you know, sellers not going to, that's, that's code for, I, I need work and I'm not, I'm not going to help you. So you need to make sure that you're, you know, if you're going to go look at a property like that, make sure that your, your offer is realistic for, for what you can afford. And that is correct. A good realtor will know. And I think Damien was alluding to in-house agent and he called my apologies to the external agents. He called them out-house <laughs> agents, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> to our out-of-network agents, you know, either way, a good agent is going to know um, uh, when to step in and negotiate for you. And again, it all starts and ends with having a great relationship with your counselor as well as your agent. So thank you for that. Sabrina, Sabrina is asking about these minimum required funds and she's asking about payment shock and different things. So I got Sabrina on the phone and on Facebook. So I'm gonna, if this is the same Sabrina, I'm gonna tackle them both. Can I start my payment shock in a separate account now, although my intake is not until June and will that help speed up the process or will I have to still wait uh, the additional three to six months to show the payment shock. When can I start payment shock is basically what wow, I'm ready for this one. Yeah, you can you can start at any time. Uh, the payment shop is your appointment is on June and you start now. Um, you will have the three months. It says remember that if you living with uh, with family or you don't have no payments, so we do need to have six months. And let's remember payment shop, we check all your accounts. So it's not that separate account that need to increase, all your other's account need to have the same balance. So it's at the end of February, you have 5,000 and your payment shop is 1,000. By the end of March, I need to have an all your account 6,000. If you don't have a number, so we are not doing the payment shop. Moving money to one account to another is fine but the numbers had to increase, let's keep that on mind. So is you moving 400 to this account, to the other account, but at the end of the month, you still have 5,000, so you don't have no savings. So keep that on mind, payment chapters sound more easy like it is, as people seeing, is I put the money on this account, that's all what I need, and it's now, we check all the accounts, all the balance should be the same and one account should increase. So keep that in mind and this, that will help you with the process because you already will have three months by the time of your appointment time. And Lourdes, said, and, and, yeah, and Lourdes said increase too. Your balances should be increasing, but increasing by your income. We're not talking about your state tax refund or your federal tax refund or a gift that you got from a relative. We're talking about your income. 
balance you is can't increasing. Count, count my mattress money. That's not payment shark savings. No, oh, man. Nope. Now, you more than that thousand dollar. That's what I think Miss Michelle was saying that you know I have to show that you can save more from your income after all your expenses. Right. And you do that in a separate check, uh, savings account. You can do that, uh, but we will check as Miss Lord just said that we'll check all your total checking savings, all the accounts together. Your assets must be increasing each and every month from your income. How much you are saving? Yeah, I call it a, I call it a spending plan, not a savings plan, because basically you have to micromanage your spending. You get a one-time deposit, you can't spend it because this it's gonna if as soon as we take it out, there goes your payment shock. So yeah. you think about all of your accounts combined as one bucket. Here's all these accounts, all accounts combined going up every single month, month over month, income from earnings only. Here's my budget, here's my payments that I have to make, here's all my discretionary spending. I micromanage that until I get to my payment shock and I stop spending. That's yeah. it. Makes sense. So, Mr. Hargrave, did you have anything? I, I know you was trying to say something earlier. Oh, I was going to say to make the process a little easier. And if you're preparing a specific bank account, you definitely want to clean up the one-time transactions. So if you have a lot of cash app or Zelle deposits coming in and out of your account in excess of $100, try to limit those. If you do have friends or family that want to give you gifts, monetary gifts, it's better to accept the gifts in cash. You can use that for your spending, for cash items such as gas and groceries and convenience items. So it'll better reflect the monthly savings in your bank account. It won't negatively be impacted by one-time deposits. That's a good point. Good That's advice. a good point. Damien, this next question is for you. Go ahead. You got well, another question. With that being said, would it make it easier if someone creates a house account and this is all where they put their money for their house, does that make it easier or it doesn't really matter? That's that's easier for minimum required funds, not necessarily okay. payment shock payment savings. Shock. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. People get confused have, with really, the whole transfer really thing. Moving, one, moving money from one place to another is not saving. It's best if you really want to manage and monitor your savings. It's easiest if you have one checking account because mm -hmm. with just one checking account, you can see what you had at the beginning and you can see what you have at the end. And there, you know how much you say. I agree. You know, I, I used to do the events and I never will forget this one time. And it just stopped me. I, did, I didn't even want to be a counselor after that. Um, it was like, that's why I always, and Michelle, stop looking at me like that. I honor <laughs> and respect what you do because it takes a special kind to do it. There was this, this couple that came in and they brought in this little, this little thing on wheels with 12 different bank accounts. 12 different bank accounts, $4,000 in all those accounts, $4,000. So they're just moving money around. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. And, and so the no poor counselor, counselor had to go through them all. No counselor on this call is going to accept 12 bank accounts. No. We're going to get a three-month plan, and we're going to tell you yeah. to consolidate your accounts down to a maximum. Exactly. Of four. Plus, if you're just exactly. transferring money from one account to savings account, doesn't mean you are saving money. You need to understand exactly. Just because you transferred $5,000 in your savings account, you are not just saving money. You have that money already. Yeah. Well, that's good information to know. So don't yeah, you know exactly. with 12 accounts and you got $2 in it. One of the keys to being successful through NACA is you want to simplify everything. Right. Less mm -hmm. is more when you're going through NACA. The less 
the less employers you have, the less, you know, com complex items you have in your taxes, just less is more overall. The less bank yeah. statements, bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera, it makes it a lot easier. Keep it, it simple. Easy. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. All right. Uh, Sabrina, I hope that answered your question. Tiga, Tiga is saying this question is just for you, Damien. What would be better, a NACA realtor or an outside realtor? Damien call them out, outhouse. But the <laughs> NACA realtor, which is our in-house <laughs> agent, or an outside realtor, which is an agent that's not exclusively for NACA, which is better? So I'm going to ask this rhetorical question. Can the job that you, what's her name again? Can you, what, what's her name that asked the question? Tigger. Tigger? Tigger. Tigger, the job that you do every day, could I come and take a two-hour workshop webinar and now be able to successfully do your job after a two-hour webinar? And that's the, what I like to leave it with. With the in-house agent, we don't do FHA. We don't do VA. We do one loan, NACA's loan, which is a conventional loan structured as a rehab. That's all we do consistently. So we have expertise through volume and the sheer fact that we don't have to concentrate on any other loan, just the NACA product. So when you've been six months away, a year away from doing a NACA loan, are you as ready to do a NACA loan as someone who does, this is all they do every day. So you want someone to be an expert. This is the one of, the, I don't like to say the largest purchase because I want to speak into existence that you're going to have several large purchases, but this is one of them. And that's not the time to have somebody experiment who doesn't really know the NACA process. You don't have hand on outside of NACA. You don't have credit access outside of NACA. So if they don't know how to maneuver through all of the minutiae and the intricacies of NACA, then how can they get you through? If you don't know it and your agent don't know it, you're both bumping in the dark. So you need someone that's going to take your hand from your mortgage counselor and they, in concert, walk you to the finish line. So I always recommend. But what I also tell people is if your cousin or your uncle is a real estate agent, I want you to be able to come back to those family dinners. I don't want everybody <laughs> mad with you because you chose an in-house agent to get you through. Do Go with who you feel best with, but also make sure you're thinking about the expertise. When was the last time they did a NACA loan? Well, how often, how, how many have they done? If they only done one four years ago or two years ago, do they really know how to get you through the process? And those are questions that you ask them. You ask them, when, when was the last time you did a NACA home? How many have you done? And I'll leave it at that. So he answered your question, Tigga, it is best to use a NACA in-house <laughs> agent. Yes. NACA in-house agent. That's the translation and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> All right. Tyrone, Tyrone out there in Facebook. I'm throwing some hearts up before you, Tyrone. I think we already answered this, but real quick, we're going to go back through it one more time. Can someone talk about the six-month savings pattern for a multifamily? So it's not a six-month savings. You know, are, are you talking about reserves or are we talking about the PSS? The I'm thinking they're talking about PSS because we, we talked about the minimum required funds already. And we I'm, I'm just thinking this is about a pay, payment shock. That's what I'm thinking. Because there's no different payment shock for multifamily than single family. Payment shock is based on three months if you're paying rent to somebody that you're not related to, six months if you're living with family or paying rent to somebody you're related to, or 12 months if you're self-employed. 
So that's for single family or multifamily. If what they're talking about is the reserves, there is a reserve extra reserve requirement for multifamily. For two, for, for two units, it's four months. For three units, it's five months. And for four units, it's six full months, full PITI, which is before you know their portion plus the 75% of gross rents. Because you got to make sure you can keep making that payment even if your renters aren't paying you. That's exactly mm. right. And Eric has been on this show talking about those reserves. Although Tyrone, I don't want to answer for you, but out there in Facebook, let us know if you were talking about the payment shock savings pattern or the reserves, because the reserves is always a conversation piece. And Katya just explained it, uh, depending on the type of units that you, the number of units you want to have. So let us know if we've answered that question for you. Moving on to Damon. Damon is asking, is there an <laughs> option for, not Damien. Uh, Damon is asking, is there an option for remodeling a home I find or if I have the option of buying it while I'm renting? And I'm not sure I quite understand that that question is I'm trying to figure out, is he saying he wants to buy the home that he's renting and remodel? I don't know. Damon if he's, I think like he's asking that if he can remodel a home that he purchased through NACA while he's renting. Uh, the one thing is maybe that I want to clear is that when you are trying to close on a NACA home, it has to be ready for you to leave. So once you close on it, the next day you can move on to that house. So that is what we, if that is the process, you can close through NACA. You cannot close on a house and then remodel if you cannot live on it in, in that house. You can always remodel while you are living in that place. Well, there, there can roll in six months. There is an exception if the renovation, if the house is not habitable and you have a renovation project, then you can continue to live at your current residence while your res renovation is underway. As long as the project doesn't exceed six months and there is an option for the lender to give you some sort of temporary forbearance where you're not going to be required to pay you know, the mortgage payment for up to six months. They roll that into the rehab. They'll, mm -hmm. roll, they'll roll six months of your mortgage payment into the re total rehab budget, and it reduces your interest rate by 0.375, and they'll roll the six months in. If you can't afford to roll the six months in, then the answer would be no. You'd have to have, it would have to be in livable condition at the point that you close. Wow. Okay. A lot of information. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's getting good, y'all. It's getting good. So this is a healthy question right here. And Deborah, you picked the best time to ask this question. Deborah out there is saying, what are the qualifications for a NACA counselor? Would like to become one. Such a great mm -hmm. opportunity to help others. Come on down. So let's talk about that special ingredient that makes a great counselor. Because we got the top performers on the call today. These are the top performers of the company. Uh, and there are many of them, but these are the ones we, we're focusing on today. And yes, NACA is hiring. You can always find the positions that we are hiring for at www.naca.com. Go under careers and look for those positions. But can some of you just share with, with us? Why do you do what you do every single day? We like helping people. That's yeah. the biggest thing. If you like helping somebody, whatever their goals are, and you want to help them achieve those goals, it's a great opportunity for you. Um, you got to be positive, optimistic, you know, hold their hand sometimes along the way and make sure that they, they um, live, live by what they said their goals were when they first met with you. 
if they get off track, help them get back on track. So, you know, if, if you like helping people, I think this is a great job for you. If you got patience, it's a great job for you. If you're organized, it's a great job for you. Yeah. You got to be able to prioritize because there is a lot of people that we see in a day and we do a lot of different things. So um, it, it's a great opportunity for somebody who really, really wants to help others. She wow. your way. Come on, Sham. Do well while doing good. So yeah. it means that we are doing good here, but you are also going to do well. So come on up here and just apply. That's right. And we're hiring in all of our NACA, in all of our NACA offices in every state. So we don't have to have an office, a, a brick and mortar office to be hiring in that area, Nebraska, Indiana, you name it, Iowa, you can be anywhere and, and become a NACA counselor. Uh, and Shem said it best, do well while doing good. So you can do it, do it best at NACA. So Deborah, yes, I hope that answered your question. And it was a good one. Devon out there in Facebook is saying, and you guys are going to love this one. They say, first of all, Devon says, hello, are late payments on an old account that have been paid off is a deal breaker? Is that a deal breaker? Late payments on an old account that's been charged off. Is that a deal breaker at NAC? No, 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 no. Devon. It, no. Is not. it is not. Will they need a letter of explanation? Maybe. Maybe. And Dawn is back asking, why do we need letters of explanation? <laughs> Dawn is calling, uh -oh. asking, why do we need letters of explanation? Well, it sounds like you're ready to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have an opportunity when you meet with your counselor and we have an opportunity to speak with you firsthand. So we can gauge you know, your honesty. We can gauge the reason and justification for anything that isn't self-explanatory. However, the underwriters who's going to make the decision on whether or not you meet the qualification criteria or credit access or bank app criteria, they don't have the opportunity to speak with you firsthand. And then once you're approved and you move forward to the bank's underwriting team, they also don't have the opportunity to speak to you firsthand. So your letters of explanations represent you in rooms where you don't have the opportunity to be present. And that's how you should approach it. I like that. So your letters speak for you when you're not even available to speak for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like somebody asked about late payments. If you had a bunch of late payments in 2019, there must be a story. So um, your letter of explanation and tell us what happened. What was that story in 2019? You know, they, they the story. Can, they'll tell the story. Um, but like uh, Katya says, sometimes we need a letter. Sometimes we don't. You know, it was 2019. You're on track now. Right, okay. right, Katia. You're on track now. You're on track. Yeah, yeah. If it's not within our parameters of what we have to look at, then I, you know, if you got some medical collection, you know, last year, I'm not going to ask you about it. I'm not even going to see it probably anymore because we just got that that uh, memo that we aren't going to have those on there anymore. So, mm. I, I always just tell my members, don't pre-underwrite yourself. Don't assume that you know because everybody can get qualified. Everybody can. So and Damien talks about that all the time. Don't write your own declination mm -hmm. letter. He preaches that. That is his, mm -hmm. that's his sermon, y'all. Don't okay. write your own declination letter. Let your counselor work with you to get you. Don't even wait. Problem. Don't even wait. Even if it, even if you, you do end up having to wait for a little bit, you might be working on something else while you're doing that. 
So you won't even know about that unless you come in. So go ahead and, you know, get, get your appointment right away. And then you can be looking at everything that, that you could be working on. Also, right. as we were saying, uh, also acts as a verification from you. Like some of the letters we ask is letter of explanation for addresses. So it gives us verification. You have lived on those addresses. You give us the timeline and it also speaks in favor of you when the underwriter is underwriting your file. So it's a source of verification for us. Makes sense. Devon, I hope that answered your question. And we are down to the wire. So we're on our speed. Wow. It's already happening. We have about two more questions that I'm going to try to get to. Antoinette, I see you. Yanni, I see you. San, you're next. We got these three questions. If we can get this done, we are all set. San is saying, if your income puts you in a non-priority area, and it's the maximum loan amount offered by NACA increase to be able to afford the purchase if the going prices are higher in the area. So this is one we get all the time talking about the maximum loan amounts and priority versus non-priority. But sounds like she's saying her income puts her in a non-priority area. Can we talk about that, especially with the housing market being the way it is? Sure. Uh, one thing I do suggest that don't get discouraged if you are non-priority in your qualification. We always discuss where you are trying to buy, because if you are buying an area that where it's median tract income percentage is below 80, you automatically get the priority interest rate uh, for NACA mortgages as well. So have those discussion with like your counselor that what options you have in terms of buying and will that help you become priority or non-priority depending on the location you are buying as well. Because some location might have a greater median income percentage uh, compared to where you currently live. So during qualification, we have determined the priority and uh, non-priority based on where you are currently at. But during the purchase time, we determine it based on where you are trying to purchase. That can vary. And if you're non if you're non-priority, definitely um have a conversation with your counselor about where you want to buy. You know, some areas too are higher cost areas. So if if you're trying to buy in a higher cost area, that might be different than an area that's not a higher cost area. So just have the conversation, make sure you understand, you know, what it is you need to search for, what areas you can search and what areas might not be good for you. Absolutely. Well, and I always, I always tell, tell them too, it's not a whole area. Like people think about an area as an area in Los Angeles, it's square blocks, literally square blocks. Mm -hmm. This, this priority tract or non-priority tract could be right next to each other. Mm -hmm. And they are literally square blocks. So if you start going out into, you know, a lower density population, yeah, then those those square block those those blue lines can get, you know, bigger, but but in most of the urban areas where a lot of my non-priority members don't have any problem finding a, a priority tract. It's not a priority area, it's a priority tract. So it's literally just a census tract and and it could be square blocks. So don't don't think of it as a big old swath you know, okay, I can't afford to buy in LA. No, most of LA is priority. Makes sense, makes sense. And it the final question. Your agent, because your agent is gonna understand using that map to see that this one, this track is, is and this one isn't. So definitely working close with your NACA in-house agent, who's again, an expert at that and who understands it and does it all the time, will know how to help you circumnavigate that. So, yeah. 
Definitely. And Katia, last question for Antoinette. Can you go over the reserves one more time for mixed use? On oh, yeah. No, yeah, for the multifamily, and it does include mixed use properties, by the way, not because uh, phenomenal, um, up to four units, full 100% financing, no down payment, no mortgage insurance. It's nuts. Um, so you could do um, up to four units. So that would be, um, you know, residential. So two units is four months, full PITI. But, uh, three units is five months, full PITI, and, and four units is six months. PITI. And there it is. We did it. We did it. That's our time, people. Give yourself a hand. We are done. Thank you so much for joining the Actors Radio Program, where we are the best in America's mortgage. And you can always, once again, find us, like us, love us, do whatever you want to do with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, 833-771-0500. And you can always find what you need on www.naca.com. Think it through, make it a great day. And there it is. April, take it away. Thanks for listening. NACA's American Dream Program is a production of the Neighborhood Assistance Corporation of America, a national nonprofit organization fighting for economic justice through affordable homeownership and community advocacy. To learn more about NACA and our advocacy efforts, careers, NACA's Best in America Mortgage, or to join a NACA in your community, visit us at NACA.com.